The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 24 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Master Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome everyone to another edition of the House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my right is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator, how are you doing? Oh, baby, it is now September and we are in the full swing getting ready for school to start and classes to be scheduled. Ironing out the details of teaching driver education this fall for school, teaching uh, through my private driving school as well that I work for after school and on weekends and still sneaking in some hours at the store selling those retro games, baby. I mean, you stay busy. Uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. All right. Well, why is it so funny, Kevin? I mean, I just didn't expect that out of him. I I, oh, okay. I, le- I left the surprise. Okay. And guys, that's just Kevin. I don't know, that's your intro for this week, though. Hey, it's me. I'm back. I'm here. Uh, hey, guys, got a quick question for you. What do you got? Let's, yeah. say, let's say, for example, that a place of business that sells things you can read or, or borrow them has a quarantine period. Would you ever think of calling and saying, I don't feel like waiting, so can you just pull mine and set it aside because I'm special? No. I don't read, though. So. Oh, that's true. Okay, well, so there's DVD, what, too. Would, the, would this customer's name be Karen? I may as well be. Every day, there's at least one phone call. Well, I don't want to wait. Can you just pull mine and I'll come get it? Uh, no. No. <laughs> See yourself to the door, sir. Good day. I don't know what your line is. I don't know what your catchphrase is no, on these shows. I said good day, sir. Uh, guys, so we are talking uh, this week fully loaded, which not only is a great pay-per-view, it is the greatest breakfast sandwich you can get at Burger King, guys. The fully loaded Chris sandwich. Tell me. Have you ever had one of these masterpieces? No, I have not. I do not like the Chris sandwiches. I think they... Why? How... They, I think they feel greasy and they're falling apart as soon as you take them out of the bag. Oh, they're so good. I'm a I'm a mark for Burger King breakfast. It's my favorite fast food breakfast. What's the what's the breakfast um the fully loaded thing at Denny's? It's not not fully loaded. What is it called? The Grand Slamwich? No, like smothered, covered, loaded, whatever. Fathers, brothers, cousins, nephews, uncles, former <laughs> roommate. The Dagwood? I don't know. Something like, instead of just like a loaded baked potato, it's like the covered, loaded, smothered, whatever. Kevin, do you remember when we went to Denny's and it was me, you, and a small little vegan, and I offered her a bite of my Dagwood sandwich, which was 
bacon, country fried steak, and like ham, like every meat. It's just a meat concoction in like a loaf of bread is what a Dakwood is. It, it, it is that date did not go well for you and there was no meat served that night. It wasn't a date, Kevin. Were you my chaperone? You were there with me. No, <laughs> wait, was it a date between me and you? I was, I was your wingman. Oh, okay. It was that night. Chicken wingman. So anyways, um, guys, I, I have a lot to go over with you, okay? Um, number one, on, on last week's show, I told you guys about an eBay auction with wrestling buddies okay and i just want to give you an update guys is this guy won that off oh baby the buddies are coming home i got them wrestling buddies son i got a uh so so i get a big boss man hawk hogan ultimate warrior macho man and uh a fifth one i can't remember jake <laughs> no not jake not lod who's the other one million Warrior? dollar man yeah, million dollar there man. That's go. him. No one forgets him. Not even the IRS. Are they gonna just? Oh jeez. Too soon. I can't show you DVD. I found, by the way. <laughs> I found the million dollar man's uh, "Come to Jesus" documentary DVD. It's all about oh, his yeah? church, which is now under investigation. Uh, what are you gonna do with these wrestling buddies? Are you gonna have them like across the couch or your bed, like uh, like throw pillows on display? Are they gonna be in like a cabinet on the wall? Are they gonna be like in in your window so the neighbors can see them? Yeah. So number one, what I want to do is well, no, I'm not putting them in the window. Someone will break into my house try to steal them. Okay. These it, it, it may as well be putting gold in the window. You're right. Yeah. Well, Goldberg will be in the window at one point when I when I get his bash and brawler. Walk but, right uh, in there. Yeah, well, but I'm bunch. Uh, no, I want number one. I want to take a photo because I have the chalkline wrestling buddies jacket, and I want to be like Ultimo Dragon with his belts. But instead of them, I want like the the wrestling buddies on me, like a, like that barrel of monkeys game. I think that would be awesome photo. Um, and that's gonna be my new Tinder photo. So, what what is the ultimate goal? Are you trying to get the other three that you're missing? What are we missing? LOD. Oh yeah, we're gonna get all we're gonna get all of them. Yeah, so I need LOD and then Jake Roberts, and then I have been collecting the WCW uh, uh, brawling buddies as well because I want that whole collection too. Crazy man. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's 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 awesome. Are you gonna take two of these photos, one with the WWF buddies, one with the WCW buddies, so you can uh get the interest of girls on tinder that might only be interested in one of federation or the other well no see i'm a uniter not a divider kevin so i'm here to bring people together, bring together. well at, at least you and whoever swipe left no you swipe right swipe left means is, they don't want this isn't it better i don't know and they want this <laughs> yeah that is true how it was swiping left like something from tiktok or something <laughs> no the tiktok's up or down to get through but guys um Another collectible thing I do want to bring up is uh, this has been a really rough week. Uh, of course, last week we talked about the AEW figures that uh, we could not find in stores. Well, I want to say <laughs> thank you, educator. That's right, baby. Because the educator found the figures at a Walmart and bought me a set as well Full set. as yourself. You got yourself a set? I did. Absolutely. I bought. I ended up buying three sets at the store. I bought one for... My uh, co-worker, my uh, store manager and owner at the, the game store bought a set for you and ended up buying a set for me. So you were that guy that just took the whole <laughs> I thing. Ended up, I went 
what shopping cart full of toys. Yeah, I it was creepy. So I, I want to like personally thank you. You don't understand how much this means to me. Um, I actually wrote you a song. <laughs> really? That I am going to to play for you right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so it is called Dear Educator. <laughs> I'm sending it to you via Facebook right now. Okay. And why don't we, we're going to play it for you. We'll play it for everyone. And then we'll, we'll get your reaction for Dear Educator. So if you want, go ahead. I will play it. And uh, thank you. All right. The song goes out to someone that helps you out when you are in need. And to me, my guardian angel, the educator of excellence. I was lost with no direction. My confidence was stifled. Stifled. Searching the shelves of my local Walmart, I was unbridled. Then I heard a dinging from my phone That was simply titled From the educator quote I have what you need for your survival Unquote My knight in shining armor found the figures now no more deprival. deprival And I can't wait to see his beautiful face at the meetup arrival. arrival Dear educator, your teaching skills are unrivaled Dear educator, your match breakdowns are unrivaled. unrivaled. Dear educator, your friendship is unrivaled. unrivaled. Dear educator, those AE dub figs are. Unrivaled. Thanks for being my angel. <laughs> so, 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 what do you, what do you think, buddy? That was, uh, that was something being serenaded by you, man. Which? I guess I, I guess I appreciate your friendship, too. I got one other question to ask you. Uh, do you want a bite of my Dagwood? <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm all set. Thank you. You know, it's too bad you're already married because that would have been a perfect first dance. Uh, absolutely, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to thank you. You are an unrivaled, uh, you know, your many talents are unrivaled. And, uh, you know, you got me the, you know, the unrivaled they're series. You're going to have to ringside, that. unfortunately, to get Brandy because they're not shipping her yeah. until they're doing restock. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
You guys don't understand. Today, I made like an album worth of stuff for the for the podcast. So, uh, um, so yeah, so yeah, we got the figures. The collecting's going good. But I did have another another thing I wanted to touch on this week. There was a lot I wanted to go over. Number one is uh, I woke up at like eight thirty in the morning. And I woke up, and you know what I said to myself at 8.30 in the morning? I said, man, I could go for a shrimp basket today. What? Yeah, a shrimp basket. What, you need to get your red lobster on? So, no. So, I went on to the uh, Google machine and found out there's a Long John Silver's 40 minutes away from me. I haven't seen, I thought they were all gone. I haven't seen a Long John Silver's in forever. So, this guy went and got hush puppies. I was there at 10.30 in the morning. (laughs) Were you the first one there? Yep. I walked in. Every register was closed. No one even acknowledged me. I walked out, went through the drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just wanted some damn hush puppies. Now, Long John Silver's is really good still. Absolutely. I remember yeah. uh, we've eaten many a times. I remember it being really good and then getting just really disgusting. Like, towards the end. Yeah, our local one for like they didn't care they knew they're yeah it was like it was like they were being cooked by russo yeah. they knew they, they knew the days were numbered so they stopped caring about it but you go to a good one and like i love getting chicken i didn't get fish i got chicken but it was still in the same batter it was delicious you find out an order of 12 hush puppies is just a dollar more oh my god i'm sad so so i went i ordered the combo where you get one like i got two you get two sh- shrimps you got one piece of fish and one piece of chicken. You get fries and uh, two hush puppies. It was like seven bucks. That's nothing. And then on the menu, you know what else they offer now? No, boy. And I don't know if they offer a, these. A breakfast. Fish breakfast. There's no breakfast. Uh, they offer what's called crumblies, which is just the batter. Like deep fried batter crumblies. I would eat it. I've eaten worse. I, I'm not eating another man's crumblies. Okay. <laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> all right so that was our our story yeah but long john silvers man really good you know what to be honest with you the fish was so good guess what i had for dinner tonight i went and got a fish fry again. different place this time yeah just one that's right around the corner they just do wasn't the same though Not they didn't have hush puppies the hush puppies i mean who would have thought breaded bread unbelievable so that's my long john silvers uh Katie Birchall was working. It was crazy. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> we missed you, John Pierre Lafitte. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, guys, do we want to go over the big announcement now, or do we want to save it? Uh, I don't know. I think it's time to let them know. All right, sure, because Rocky Horror Picture Show taught me to build anticipation. I was wondering if you were going to finish that. Um, yeah, so so when should I put it into the show? Let's let the people know when it at least is going to be there. Ooh. You know, I mean, uh, honestly, um, pick a horrific match on this card, and I think it would fit in there. There really wasn't a bad match on this card. Actually, there's one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, there's very much a horrific match. Yeah. <laughs> You could put it in there. It'd be a good segue. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that then. So the big announcement coming at match four. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, so that's what we'll say. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's going to do it for our little tangents up at the front, our little crumblies of information, if you will. Why don't we get right into Fully Loaded? Here we are. It's July 26th, 1998. We're in Fresno, California at the Selland Arena, about close to 10,000 people, just a, just a, a shy bit underneath that Uh 9,855 in attendance looked like a, like a full building though. It looked like a sellout, um, at least from the, uh, from the camera shots. Uh, and we, we get started off with, uh, it doesn't start off like normal. It starts off with Jerry, the King Lawler sneaking into Sable's locker room, like Porky's style. What, what is going on with this? Oh, I'm not too sure if this was shot for like a, uh, Coliseum home video. Well, I guess that'd be this time. It'd be WWF home video kind of like as a post, uh, actual put in after the fact. I don't know if this, I don't remember if this was actually live on the pay-per-view. I don't really believe it was, but, uh, interesting take trying to, uh, you know, set up the beginning of the show and, uh, getting Lawler some quality camera time as well as, you know, Mrs. Lesnar. Mrs. Lesnar. If anything, I could see it airing right at like 59, right before the top of the hour on the free for all or like the TV guide channel, the on demand channel, whatever. Here's a tease of Sable, what she's wearing, the silhouette. And if you want to say it, you got to order the pay-per-view. You're right though. There's a lot of weird extras on this episode where I'm wondering, okay, was this on the pay-per-view? Was it added later? Did WWE network just find this old footage and threw it on here for no good reason? Like there's, there's a lot of weirdness. Yeah, they um. This seemed like uh, something you would end Sunday Night Heat with, but there was no Sunday Night Heat at the time because that would actually debut the following Sunday. So, just a little little info for you. So yeah, so after uh, the King and Sable do their little thing, uh, we get the intro video, which is more of the um, kind of the original intro videos that we saw. It wasn't that mini movie that we talked about on the the previous Over the Edge pay per view. Um, anything noteworthy to say about this intro? I thought it was a great promo video to really get people invested in what the upcoming show is going to be about. Again, the big concept, will the answers eventually become the questions as we move forward to this show and leading deeper into the summer and SummerSlam and everything beyond? You know, it it was a good promo. It did exactly what it's supposed to do. I'm ready to sit down and watch the show. But in in our fantasy booking world, just imagine if it was Owen Hart instead of Taker, and you could have had the exact same promo. Where do his loyalties lie? Yeah. You know, and we've we've been talking about the misuse of Owen Hart here, and man, they really did miss the boat. I mean, but wait, isn't he on this card? I, I'm sure it's a great match. I'm I'm sure it pushes him into that world title picture. I'm sure we'll be thrilled and happy, and you know, I'm sure he has the backing of the entire Hart family with uh, his match on this card, right? Yeah, well, we'll we'll get to his match <laughs> in a little bit here. Um, so why don't we start with our first match of the evening? We get to see Val Venus uh, taking on Double J. Just Double J. Wasn't Jeff Jarrett. He was built as Double J. Of course, Double J has um, the always needed Tennessee Lee um, and and a little bit Southern Justice coming in here. Um, so so what did you guys think of this first match? Oh, I'm a huge fan of the Southern Justice uh, presentation here. It's just absolutely crazy how the the hog farmers. Uh, in the coveralls and and the southern tattoos and you know and everything and the very hick characters that they were, how they clean up, pull their hair back in a ponytail and suit up so to speak, and just how very very different the presentation was, kind of like the muscle behind Jeff Jarrett. 
Uh, too, I wish they were able to stay at ringside, but the referee ended up throwing them out and sending them to the back locker room. We've got Tennessee Lee staying, though, acting as the, the manager, the mouthpiece for Double J. Not sure the, uh, the intent of Kai and Tai coming down as well. Certainly, we see Yamaguchi's son from Kai and Tai escape the, uh, the ejection from the referees as well, and he ends up coming over on commentary to try to lend his two cents with Valvinas. Unfortunately, as the viewer, though, it was more of a distraction than really hyping the uh, interaction that they were going to end up having in the storyline with Valvinas in the future. I mean, I get it. Kaintai comes out as the distraction so Yamaguchi's son can sit down, but really didn't notice like a random other guy is sitting there next to King and JR. Um, Southern Justice, God, how does that not work? How do they not get a tag title run with that look, that gimmick? Like, they just look so cool. They look like muscles. You could have paired them with anyone, and it would have worked. Uh, Before we get into the match, the weird thing that I noticed in the Attitude Era when Austin's selling millions of shirts and DX and there's NWO shirts and all, there were a lot of white T-shirts in this crowd. Like, to the point where I thought, they didn't sell white T-shirts. What is going on here? Because instead of seeing a sea of black like we usually do, you know, my mind was a little altered. It kind of looked like the Thunderdome, you know. So did they explain, am I just thinking this of a different match, or did they explain that Tennessee Lee could stay down because he had a manager's license and Southern Justice did not? I'm not sure if that was really well explained or, or mentioned, but I mean, with the entire efforts that he had been through the summer since like just before WrestleMania, I mean, it was well known that he was the, the manager of the mouthpiece of Double J. Yeah, of course, um, Kai and Tai, and this is really the getting into the height of the Valvinus Kai and Tai feud, because Chop Chop PP would be two weeks later on Raw. Quality attitude programming, baby. Infamous. <laughs> Infamous. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and break down the match for us, that's what all right, all right. So here we are. We have see at the start of the match, Valvinus hits a hot shot clothesline onto Jeff Jarrett and ends up getting a two count from the referee, Tim White. Eventually, Jeff Jarrett recovers and they battle back and forth for a bit. And Jeff Jarrett hits a power bomb on Val as Val tucked a little bit too early, throwing Jeff Jarrett into the ropes. Tucked too early to try to do a back body drop. Tennessee Lee on the floor gets a couple of cheap shots in on Val Venus as Jeff Jarrett sent him out to the floor and then eventually did his bit to distract uh, distract the referee. Back in the ring, we see Jeff Jarrett hitting a DDT on Val Venus as Val Venus attempted to do a urinagi, and Jeff Jarrett ended up reversing that urinagi attempt by Val Venus. We see Val Venus hitting a great-looking belly-to-belly suplex mid-match to kind of get the lull of the crowd fired back up. Uh, both men end up having a standing seven count from the referee after that belly-to-belly suplex maneuver. We see Val hitting a fisherman suplex onto Jeff Jarrett for a two count. Jeff Jarrett climbs to the top rope eventually and hits a diving cross body block off the top rope for a very close near fall. We eventually see a ref bump in this match when Jeff Jarrett was clotheslined on the top rope and uh, he ended up snapping his head back and the whiplash effect, I guess, caused him to bump into the referee. So with the referee out, we see Val Venus end up setting up Jeff Jarrett for the money spot, uh, the money shot uh, splash off the top rope. And as Val Venus climbed to the top rope, we see Tennessee Lee's interference 
grabbing onto Valvinus's left leg, yanking him down, causing Valvinus to essentially crotch himself on the top rope. So uh, after the uh, money shot uh, from Tennessee Lee uh, was essentially thwarted by Tennessee Lee, Jeff Jarrett recovers and climbs up to the second rope and ends up giving Val Venus a superplex onto the canvas. Val Venus then uh, is victim to the figure four leg lock, and Val attempts to do a roll-up from that figure four and only gets a two count. Both men are back up to their feet. And Val ends up reversing a cradle roll attempt into the ropes and ends up causing Jeff Jarrett to plow into Tennessee Lee, who was sitting on the apron, causing Jarrett to bump into Tennessee Lee. And eventually Val rolls up Jarrett from that bump for the one, two, three victory. I just don't understand how Jarrett at what, 30, 31 here is the veteran that needs to lose to the new up and coming talent to get them established and is nowhere near a title picture, despite having a manager, despite having, you know, a heavy tag team with him to beat people up. And he is just lost and a joke here. I don't get it. Vale. It's so weird seeing Vale's gimmick. Like he was over. We were all into it. And now, you know, 20 plus years later, you look back and go, well, I can't believe we all did this. I can't believe people wore his shirts. You know, like it, ju- it just seems absurd to see. Uh, but I'm, and we talk a lot about wrestlers that we watch on these and gain a new appreciation for. I saw nothing in Vale. I saw a great gimmick. I saw an average wrestler, though, in that gimmick. Like I wasn't sold on him. Uh, Yamaguchi san and King take away so much from this match with just their banter and bickering and subtle racism and and your terrible lover and all sorts of stuff like that grant add to era veil it's product of its time but maybe there was something more going on in the match i wouldn't know uh and then of course we have uh yamaguchi san just being emasculated by veil after the match for uh his his wife girlfriend wife right in the storyline starring in a veil venus movie I don't, if, I don't know if that's on any streaming service now or not it's on our OnlyFans page. <laughs> so um, a couple questions that, that get up because you, you do bring up the Attitude Error and Val Venus. Is Val Venus the, the best character from the Attitude Era? And what, what I mean by that is I, I know I know we talk about like Stone Cold, The Rock, but like that was them. It wasn't like a gimmick, really. I mean... Do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, is that Val Venus gimmick like the the best gimmick out of the Attitude Era? Was Val the best gimmick that could have only existed in that era? Yeah. I can think of one more that could only exist in that era. Uh, I've got one, too. Maybe we're on the same page. Did they have have an amazing entrance with a ring of fire? No, I I was I thought we were on the same train here. Hmm. No, no, not at all. No, because <laughs> I uh, like the Godfather could only exist. Uh, the, sorry, the pimp version of Godfather, not the one coming out with the nation acting like a veteran, like a mentor. But the pimp version could only exist in Attitude Era. Vale certainly, but Educator, go back to your point though. I think without a doubt that the Brood group, really? uh, without a doubt, was a underutilized 
kind of cast of characters. There could have been a lot more that was done with the whole vampire underground gimmick. Um, eventually, they pull Edge and Christian away and have them do a tag tag deal. But I think there's so much more that could have been done with that group. But you don't think it could have been done? In- By the way, I cannot wait to make a commercial for Shane McMahon's Vampire Underground. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't think the Brood could have been in an era other than Attitude Era, though? No. I, I think the, the, the cartoony style... Just a modern version of the cartoony style. I, I mean, the whole Ministry of Darkness, all of that, you, you couldn't have done that well any other time. See, I think you could, though. Really? I think you could do, like, a vampire gimmick now. Well, I mean, look at the updated version they tried with Kevin Thorne. I mean, I thought it was starting to get over well. I don't know if it was just the person, the wrestler playing that character that wasn't successful, but... So much okay. more. I, I just I love the brood. I love the music. I love the the entrance, the the ring of fire through the stage. Oh. Also, too, I think you probably could have had Gangrel um, earlier in the WWE early nineties too. Yeah, I I agree. All right, I'll, how about how about this? You could do a horror gimmick in any era, but it has to be a horror gimmick that works for that era. And I think the brood coming out like Anne Rice interview with a vampire Lestat kind of style worked with a sort of romanticism that was going on at the time. Kevin Thorne didn't have anything to back it up. If you had Kevin Thorne like five years later come out and do a Twilight vampire gimmick, he and Ariel could have really been over. Absolutely. You had Kevin Sullivan doing his stuff with satanic panic gimmicks going on too, which fit in with the era and things people were concerned at the time. And I think you could do something, I don't think Bray's the answer, but there's stuff you could probably do now to go with people's horror and scared and, you know, kind of intriguing and interesting too. But yeah, I can see your point there for everything else going on. The brood gimmick as it is for the theatrics, for the vampirism, for the people involved in all that only worked then and would have been a completely different gimmick before or after. Um, Another question too, that, that I have, um, and you said, you know, the Val Venus character being so over um, Sean Morley, did that did that character hurt him in the long run or did they get as much is that as high as he was going to go to begin with with his with his talent well you know they when they pivoted off of the the porn star gimmick and they went with the right to censor you know he, he wasn't he didn't get any higher or, or further in the card than what's then what he did with the Sean Morley or with with the Valvinus character and then afterwards when he even pivoted again and was more of an your your typical independent wrestler with just wearing the white trunks the white boots the same you know he chopped off all you know had his already had his hair really really short you know he had a couple of token intercontinental title runs but that was about it i mean what more could you have done at that point there was just you know creative didn't have anything for him brother sean morley if he came in as Sean Morley, would have never won a title in WWF. He would have been there. He would have been like, you know, you can go in and get beat up by better guys that were pushing. The Val Venus character took him farther than he ever would have by far. You have to counter it when he does the, you know, right censor and chief Morley and all. You need to balance it out. But that was it. He was never going to come back to it. But he probably, for the years as Val Venus, he made a ton of money. He probably had a lot of fun around the world. 
and that was as good as his career was ever going to get. He was Sean Morley was never going to be a world champion or anything. He was probably never going to have a secondary title without that gimmick. I wonder when they were coming up with the gimmick if they thought that Val Venus was like a at the time a modern day like Rick Rude. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, sure, yeah. in making that comparison, he certainly didn't have the body, the abs. And, you know, but he tr- he decent on the mic without a doubt, certainly captivating to the audience. Uh, but, you know, he was only going to do so much. He was only going to get so far. He, he wasn't a monster. Gr- definitely in shape, you know, good size guy, but certainly not one of the top end monsters that, you know, Vince was always super high on. Yeah. So then we uh, we follow that up with a we get a shot of what is supposedly the heart home. Up in uh, Calgary, Alberta, uh, because we do have the uh, Heart Dungeon match, which, of course, is a favorite of Crone Meltzer. If you guys remember that podcast from a few podcasts ago, but uh, we get that shot and then we go into match number two, which is the European champion D'Lo Brown with the Godfather uh, taking on X-Pac with China. Uh, What did you guys think of this second match and how great is D'Lo Brown? Oh, without a doubt, D'Lo is just taking the ball that he was just handed to him and is running hard with it. The Between the gimmick with the chest protector from the injury a few weeks, months back, and now uh, a singles title in the WWE, kind of like now the second to the rock within the nation of domination. This presentation is great for D'Lo Brown. Uh, love the Godfather as his second, so to speak, uh, at ringside. Real good back and forth match between himself and X Pac. I I like the match a lot. I mean, X Pac has already had a run in Global, already had his first run in WWF, already went to WCW as part of the NWO, and is back and is twenty six. That's absolutely ridiculous. These two are so good together. I I was very pleasantly surprised by this match. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I'll, I'll come back to it. Uh, I'm sure educator has a breakdown. I'll come back to it, but I, I think there's a modern day equivalent of something they did in this match. So we agree. We see some great back and forth action, uh, to start off the match, both D'Lo Brown and X-Pac trading, essentially spinning heel kicks to knock each other down to the canvas. We see D'Lo Beal X-Pac into the corner for X-Pac to crash really, really hard into the corner turnbuckle and then do a face plant face first onto the canvas. We see X-Pac running the ropes and ends up missing a running spinning heel kick. D'Lo Brown capitalizes, climbing up to the second rope and diving off the second rope for a forearm to X-Pac's face. We end up seeing a, a, a pinfall attempt only for a two count. D'Lo Brown sets up X-Pac for a moonsault off the top rope. Unfortunately, he was not able to connect, and this is the lull of the match where both men are down, and we end up getting a standing five count. We see X-Pac send D'Lo Brown in the corner and ends up hitting an unnamed at the time Bronco Buster. Godfather eventually tries to get involved in the match, climbs up on the apron and clubs X-Pac into his shoulders, kind of like a clothesline. X-Pac turns around and knocks Godfather off the apron. This is all going on at the same time while China is on the opposite side of the ring up on the apron. And she's now conversing with the ref. So this is going on behind the ref's back. The ref's not seeing any of this. As the Godfather gets knocked down by X-Pac, 
X-Pac turns right around and D'Lo Brown scoops him up under the armpits and does his sky-high powerbomb, sit-out powerbomb for the big 1-2-3 victory. So what I'm curious about is how much trouble did these two get in when they went backstage? Because I think this match absolutely steals the show from the position that they're in. They should not have gotten the time. They should have not been allowed to get away with the spots, with the action. I think it's one of the best matches on the card. I was very pleasantly surprised by it all. Great chemistry. If anything, I really think this is like an NXT-style independent wrestling match. We're going to go out there. We're going to give 100%. We're going to put everything we can out there, and you will notice me and know who I am by the end of this match. I, I really liked it. My only complaint, and this is just a wrestling booking complaint, when the title is not on the line, yet the champion wins, why not just put the title on the line? But that's a booking decision that I just don't agree with, but I'm not a booker, so who knows? See, but I like... I've always liked the rule of you have to defend the title every 30 days. Um, That's just me personally. Um, That's why I like when when Brock would get the title. He's the special attraction, but he wouldn't defend the title every 30 days. I think people would get pissed because we're just so accustomed to it. Um, So I kind of like the idea of... Oh, I, I, I just won this title. I have 30 days to defend it. I mean, you could even write a storyline about this where you're trying to avoid someone um, and, oh, no, I got to defend it. I got to get my match in on Raw or on, on SmackDown or, or, you know, because my 30 days is up or I have to vacate the title. So um, I don't mind them not doing the, the the non-title match personally, especially with him winning it. I think it was what, the the previous Monday? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't mind that. I, I um, and that way, you know. Sometimes I think a lot of times I think now we're programmed to think that if it's a non-title match, the champ's going to lose. So it was good to see the champ win here. So, so follow that up. We get to see uh, one member of the brood edges in the crowd, just kind of chilling. Um, and then we get WWF.com. We we get uh, Kevin Kelly with Tom Pritchard um, talking about The Undertaker uh, not being there. Kind of weird seeing Tom Pritchard acting more as, I guess, an on-screen, kind of like they're alluding to the fact that he's an agent or so on, uh, in the fact that he's talking about The Undertaker not being here, The Undertaker's never late, and trying to really set up some doubt in the fans' minds as to uh, whether or not he's going to show up for the main event, the tag team championship contest. At this point, you know the main event for SummerSlam has already been announced with the Undertaker scheduled to defend the WWF Championship against the Undertaker at SummerSlam. So, really trying to plant seeds into seeds of doubt into whether or not Austin's going to go into this match alone, or what other shenanigans may eventually come as a result of Undertaker possibly not being there. There's no Doc Hendricks or Michael Cole. Right. So Pritchard, I think, is just there because they need a body. They need someone for Kevin Kelly to bounce off of someone to be a backstage, you know, uh, announcer, interviewer, whatever. And he's there and in the building. So let's just roll with it. So, of course, this event takes place in July of 98. What kind of video content are they pumping out to WWF.com? Like how long of a um, like 30 second clip at this point? Like, how does that work? Uh, some dot mov, some quick time, 
Uh, is Livewire already happening by now? Yeah, I think Livewire was. I mean, because there isn't, there isn't. I mean, it, everything's what fifty six k modem at that point, right? A, lo- a lot of it, yeah, most of it. If that something that you know, <laughs> Netscape Navigator is able to be able to run and handle effectively, I can't imagine it's going to be too in depth. Yeah, because it, it just looked like they were trying to 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 pump a like get behind the scenes info from this deck because they had a whole desk set up for WWE.com or WWF.com, excuse me. And uh, I, I just, it's kind of confusing to me. It was probably a glorified phone line where you had audio coming across and every five to 10 seconds, maybe you'd have a still picture refresh. So it would appear like people are moving. Yeah. That's probably the best you were going to get at that time. Um, so anyways, let's go to match number three on the card. Uh, we have Farouk and two cold Scorpio, uh, taking on, of course, everyone's favorite tag team, uh, Bradshaw and Terry Funk. And guys, so is Terry Funk retiring only for six months? I mean, this could be the last time we see Terry Funk in a wrestling ring. I, I'm just not sure what the intent was of the promo. The weird promo at the start with the interview and apparently Bradshaw is finding out on the spot that Terry Funk's going to be taking some time away, at least six months or so, that he's had such a... Uh, such a, a rough, brutalizing run. He needs to go recharge his batteries. And, and so, Educator, I, th- I actually think this is Terry Funk's last match. I don't think he wrestles again after this. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just weird that the storyline, <laughs> how they're developing it, you know, for the WWF. Shout out to Terry Tuesdays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I don't even know. <laughs> does, does he have kids? Did he have to, like, leave because a grandkid was coming or something is something it his bad? horse is sick and yeah. he's got to go home back how many double cross ranch oh uh, when was beyond the mat do we was he have a knee surgery finally okay this knee is destroyed and looks disgusting it is the worst knee i've ever seen that's your good knee now let's look at the other one like i don't know what's knee surgery replacement time probably six months it's just weird. This match feels out of place because it, it just feels like this should happen on Raw. It feels like it should have happened on ECW. Well, yeah, that, that too. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just such an odd, odd little segment. Uh, Educator, did you want to break down this match or you want to skip it? <laughs> no, we can go through. I got some decent notes here. Yeah, go right ahead. Without a doubt. Uh, just very interesting watching in this match what it will become the APA, Bradshaw and Farouk, yep. the offense that they have against one another as they're going back and forth. Very, very, very intriguing. So towards the start of the match, we see Bradshaw hitting a shoulder block off the top rope, diving across the ring to Farouk, and ends up getting a two-count from the referee. We see Terry Funk eventually tagging into the match and hits a rude awakening-like neckbreaker onto Farouk for a two-count. Farouk rebounds and hits a backbreaker onto Terry Funk, goes for a pinfall attempt, and again only gets a two count. Eventually, Bradshaw tags back in, and Farouk catches Bradshaw coming off the rope for one of those snap power slams for a two count. Lots of pinfall attempts back and forth. We see Bradshaw essentially belly to back suplex, uh, Scorpio off the second rope for a two count. We see Bradshaw hitting a power bomb onto Scorpio for a two count. Funk and Scorpio then brawl outside of the ring, out into the crowd, and eventually uh, they make their way back into the ring itself. Terry Funk tags in, and I'm not sure exactly what he was going for. (laughs) I really believe he was going to do an acai moonsault and then realize, nope, my body is not going to take it, and hits 
this just awkward. I don't know if you would call it a crossbody or whatever, but basically just kicks his legs out, like springing off of the rope and falls down on top of Scorpio's shoulders. We see uh, Scorpio end up climbing back into the ring and he hits an ugly looking twisting splash off the top rope onto Terry Funk for a two. Here we begin to uh, see, or not see, but hear audible chants from the crowd. Boring, boring. And it's almost as if the referee's like, all right, we're getting the getting the call from the back to take this home. So Scorpio uh, sets up Terry Funk and hits a very, very ginger-looking 450 splash off the top rope. And we get the 1-2-3 victory. Post-match, we see Bradshaw very visibly upset over the loss. And as Terry Funk tries to essentially calm him down, we see Bradshaw essentially turning on on Terry Funk and hits a lariat like clothesline onto Terry Funk. We see Scorpio run back into the ring, kind of like to make a save to check up on Terry Funk. And then Bradshaw ends up knocking Scorpio outside of the ring. He hits a very, very hard clothesline on a Scorpio, causes Scorpio to essentially do and sell this uh, clothesline from hell, doing a backflip on the floor. And then eventually Farouk comes back to check on his partner, who was checking on Terry Funk. And we see Bradshaw actually grab a steel chair and smash that steel chair over the back and shoulders of Farouk. So Bradshaw just absolutely going crazy post-match, screaming a heel turn, but never really ended up becoming a heel turn itself just yet. I had no idea that APA had interactions in the ring beforehand. Like I, I was shocked. I was surprised, but I was like, well, this is kind of interesting to see. I'm enjoying it. Um, couple, couple things. One, let's congratulate two of the men in the match because both have qualified for the brawl for all. I'm sure this will lead to nothing but success for all involved. Uh, guys, we've discussed video games on the show before. And it's public knowledge that I'm not a video game person. So if I came to either of you and said, you know what? You know what you guys need to do for video games? Take my advice. You would say, Kevin, why are you giving me advice? I know much more about you than the subject and you have failed at this subject. So why would I listen to you? So when Jerry Lawler's giving marriage advice, I'm very curious. <laughs> Who's going to listen to him? Well, I am. Oh, okay. That's true. That's that's an excellent point. How's it working so far? Well, I bought a lot of wrestling buddies this week. (laughs) All right. And one one more thing here. Oh, no. He's got wrestling buddies to feed, man. He's got wrestling buddies. (laughs) I got buddies. He's got buddies, man. That should be Heath's new gimmick. He's got to buy wrestling. I got an eBay auction. I got to win. I'm a free agent. Free agent. That should be our first house show shirt. Um, did anyone else catch Bradshaw coming in because he was supposed to kick Scorpio, but Scorpio moves and he just says, eh, screw it, I'm in here, and kicks Funk to break up a pin attempt before he had turned on him? No, I absolutely missed that. Very odd spot, but it was funny. I had to go back and watch a couple times. Now, educator in your teaching and treats in your managing have either of you been in a situation where you see a conversation and it's getting heated off in this sense and you go, I see what's coming and it's not going to go well. 
So the sooner I get over there to remove these two from each other and diffuse the situation, the better it's going to be for everyone. Like you can just see it coming from across the room. That's what we call lunch duty, man. Okay. So we all saw from the interview Bradshaw turning on Funk then, correct? Without a doubt. I mean, they couldn't have called it any more in advance. I thought the, uh, you know, educator, you, you during your breakdown, you brought up the fans chanting boring. I don't agree with them. I didn't think this was boring at all. I honestly, it's it's hard to say. They're trying to reboot Scorpio as a singles character. The Flash Funk character certainly didn't take off as well and wasn't as well received um, at all that, that they were hoping for. The Terry Funk and Bradshaw tag team, I guess it makes sense. Of course, the big rough, tough Texans and, you know, tagging up together since the new Blackjacks kind of failed, unfortunately, and they ended up splitting those guys up. I just, how much, how much, you know, what, what's the legs on the Terry Funk character anyway? You right. know, he was brought in to do uh, the litany of injuries that he has had. He had his ECW run. He was brought in as the sidekick to Cactus Jack and and getting that feud over with then the heel New Age Outlaws. But, I mean, after that WrestleMania and then Cactus ended up doing his deal with McMahon and becoming the dude love character. I mean, what was realistically left with the Terry Funk character? Not really much. It's also to throw in two, let's just throw guys together, tag teams and see how they click. Why is that a pay-per-view match? That should be like a dark match, a house show match. Yeah. Like I said, it could have, it should have been Phil and Raw instead of the Brawl for All. But uh, but that's neither here nor there. All right, guys. It's match number four. You know what that means. It's time for our big announcement. Um, so here you guys go. Since the beginning of April, since the dawn of the pandemic, three men took on the challenge of covering every in-your-house pay-per-view. Well, now they have climbed that mountain. They have conquered every challenge set before them. So the three men will venture outside of their house for the first time since the start of their self-imposed quarantine. From the last 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 weeks, they have become the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. But the outside world has changed. As the world around them grows darker and gets spookier, there is a new challenge the house show must face. So join Maddie Treats, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, and the Educator of Excellence as they begin to cover WCW's Halloween Havoc. The Haunted House Show, starting October 1st on a podcast channel near you. Enter at your own risk. That is right, folks. The house show is turning into the haunted house show starting October 1st. We will be covering Halloween Havoc. 
How excited are you two for this? Absolutely, man. I am a huge, huge NWA mark from the 80s and early WCW in the 1990s. And the first Halloween Havoc show from 89, I am so looking forward to looking back at Jim Crockett Promotions and the NWA and how it changed through their 11-year run before WCW closed down. See, and guys, you know, we started this. I was already part of the Retro Network and various blogs beforehand, going back years, brought you guys on. I don't think you guys realize how big the Halloween season is for pop culture and retro blogging and websites. This this is going to be huge for us, huge for listeners. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I'm super excited because I get to make some sweet promos. <laughs> how how much Just, is an Elvira cameo? You know what? That would be a good gift for my father. That would be a good gift. That'd be a great gift for your father. Speaking of fully loaded, is Elvira on cameo? <laughs> So, uh, all right, why don't we get into match number four? This is our Halloween Havoc match of the night. Um, It is Vader taking on Mark Henry. Now, before you break down the match for us, Educator, because boy, what a breakdown this is. something broke down. (laughs) Where does this rank in our big man match rankings so far on the In Your House pay-per-view series? I'm pretty sure I would rather watch Yokozuna and Mabel. Really? I put it above that. No. So why don't you do our bottom three big man matches? Oh, gosh. I, this would absolutely be near the bottom. Uh, Yokozuna versus Mabel, without a doubt. Uh, probably that, cas- that casket match between Mabel and Undertaker. No, 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 no. I, if you call Terry Gordy a big man, Undertaker versus... Uh, Good point. The executioner it really just goes to show you the undertaker rises to the level of his competition. Cause yeah. he's got, you know, in all honesty, when he's in there with someone that's good. Yeah. As opposed to Alexa bliss. Who's always fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Hashtag bliss. All right. Uh, so yeah, why don't you, why don't you go ahead educator and, uh, it, it, you know what this match seemed to me? I do not blame Mark Henry at all for no. this match. Because Vader did not want to do anything for the rookie. No. Mm -hmm. And because of the fact that Vader, I I think Vader knew his time was was very, very close to being up in WWF at the time. And he he wasn't certainly going to do any favors for the the up-and-coming rookie who, I mean, granted, it's technically two years into his run. uh, But, you know, not going to do any favors for a, a replacement big man on the card. Yeah, this was unfortunately a train wreck. So we see towards the start of the match, um, Mark Henry unfortunately botches a body slam attempt. I don't know if it was by Mark Henry's fault or Vader's. And ends up Mark Henry has to try to scoop up Vader for a second time in order to body slam. As we go from this botch, you know, unfortunately, Mark Henry, to me, he looks extremely, extremely lost. It makes sense to me why he's in the nation and why he was in tags, why he was in six mans. You know, he'd tag in, do a move or two, tag right back out, tag back in, do a double team maneuver, and then another move or two, and then tag back out. Mark Henry just seemed lost here. We see Mark kicking Vader in the gut and eventually does a double-handed sledge over Vader's back to knock him down and goes for a pinfall attempt and only gets a two count. We see Mark Henry do a running elbow 
uh, from the ropes onto Vader and then gets up again and does a running leg drop onto Vader for a two count. Mark Henry attempts to do a sunset flip on Vader, which we can only imagine how this is going to end. Vader's response to that sunset flip attempt is a sit-down squash and goes for a pin count onto Mark Henry for a two count. Vader ends up throwing Mark Henry into the corner and follows up with an avalanche splash and then eventually a single-arm clothesline. We see Vader climb up to the second rope and does a big splash off of the second rope onto Mark Henry for a two count. Mark Henry eventually catches Vader running off of the ropes and does a scoop power slam, perhaps an homage to um, essentially what Farouk used to do as the Ron Simmons character in WCW's finish, but ends up doing a scoop power slam-like maneuver to Vader and then follows up with a big splash for a one, two, three victory over Vader. Oh, out of curiosity, educator, which match did you have more notes for, this or the evening gown match? Sadly, the uh, this match. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, you're absolutely right. Mark Henry is doing everything he can here. It's clearly he's had more training. Stuff isn't quite pieced together yet. He's not. He's doing moves against Vader. He shouldn't be doing. He should be doing against a smaller guy. You know, he's, he's got more basics down than last we saw him, but it's not all pieced together yet. He's got a power slam that looks great. Not not that first attempt, but a, one later in the match that looks fantastic. His leap, I don't know how high up he gets, but for a big guy like that to jump that high is impressive, no matter what. I was impressed with Mark Henry a lot, and I'm willing to forgive him. I've had plenty of places that I've worked at where I've had to train someone. And you guys have dealt with new people as well. I can have more patience with someone who is screwing up, but is trying and is learning. And says, you know what? I messed it up today and I'll try better tomorrow. Than someone who's just flat out an idiot and doesn't care and doesn't give any attempt at it. I got more patience for someone trying than someone phoning it in or not caring. Mark Henry's trying. He's trying as best as he can at that point in his career. So, like, a lot's forgivable. But you're right, Vader's absolutely sandbagging him throughout this whole match. You know, like, I think you guys said earlier that Vader, he sees the writing on the wall and he is going to be out of the company pretty soon. Do you think they approached him for the Brawl for All? Hmm. Because, you know, he's... You know, we hear the story on the Brawl for Hall, how the whole setup was just to have Bradshaw get beaten up. And that's what Russo says, the whole reason it was booked. You know, someone like Vader, who has this reputation for being hard to work with and being to, to being like a legit tough guy. Do you think he would have if they did offer it to him or do you think he thought he was above it? I, I the latter of what you said, I th- I think he would have had. Not nothing to do with it. He he's towards the end of his you know his realistic run here. I know that he did a couple of spots back in Japan. We saw him turn up in uh, NWA TNA for a, a show or two. Um, yeah, he he's at the end of his run, and I really think you know there there was no positive gain for him to participate in this brawl. For all, you're right. It was meant for two things. No one. It was meant to you know you know 
try to put Bradshaw in his place, but also at the same time, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, set up Dr. Death Steve Williams for, you know, bigger things to come. Also, as much as, it, you know, yeah, Vader has stiff shots. And yeah, he didn't wash his gear and their stuff. It also seems like a lot of people liked him, considered him a big teddy bear. So I don't even think they'd approach him for Brawl for All because they wouldn't want to put him through that. You know, you can you can be upset and dislike and be bothered by certain aspects of a person and still enjoy, you know, their company and still like them, even though they have flaws. Yeah. So is this the worst match we've seen on the In Your House series so far? It's close. It's very, very close. All right. So uh, moving on, we get to see the Heart Dungeon again. Uh, and then, of course, we also get to see Kevin Kelly with Tom Pritchard once again at the WWF.com uh, booth, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you know what they should have done? What's that? Uh, Kevin Kelly and Dr. Tom, they should have gotten Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, on the case, because where's Taker? Yup. He found him last time. Um, so then we get uh, Kane and Mankind uh, with Paul Bearer. And uh, the New Age Outlaws challenge them for the titles on Raw the next night. What did you guys think about this setting up the Raw main event on the pay-per-view? Actually, I really like we're starting to see it being common, more common that they're doing an interview as if it is like a Monday Night Raw kind of deal interview mid pay-per-view. And it's it's really hitting multiple uh, multiple birds with this one stone here. We've got, you know, furthering furthering the storyline that the Undertaker wants nothing to do with Kane because, you know, Paul Bear is saying he Undertaker wants to stay in one piece for SummerSlam and his match against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, we see that the New Age Outlaws now that they want to challenge for their tag team championships to get those titles back and the, the brawl that the four of them have at, at the end and the attempts for the referees and the agents and Sergeant Slaughter to essentially break everybody up. You know, trying to make the outlaws look strong, even though they're not a part of the uh, the pay per view for the night, and they're you know trying to get more viewers to you know turn around and follow up with the show tomorrow night on Raw. See, there's a there's an interview segment after the next match, which is clearly done because they're setting up TVs and stuff for the match after that. So hey, let's do an interview to fill the time, have the fan give the fans something to watch while we're getting the next segment ready. I don't see anything here that gives it a reason other than, well, let's tell what's going to happen on raw. But my issue there is I've just spent 30 to 40 bucks on a pay-per-view. If I'm the type of fan to spend that amount of money every month, if not twice a month on a pay-per-view, you already got my eyes on raw. Well, I, I think too, though, Kevin, it's probably a lot to do with the Monday night war. And they were afraid that the people that are watching the pay-per-view, they have Sunday night to themselves, but they don't have Monday night to themselves. That's a good point. I'll give you that. So, so let's try to hook them in with a match that will not happen. Spoiler alert, the next night on Raw. And, uh, yeah, it is what it is. All right, so let's go to match number five of the night because we get uh, the Disciples of Apocalypse coming out with Paul Ellering taking on LOD 2000 without Sonny. Without Sonny. Um, two things about this. One, no Sonny. So is she done now with the company? Uh, it's hard to say. I think she was kind of floating back and forth at this point. Uh, Hellions helped me out. Was she an on screen with ECW with Chris Candido and Triple Threat? I'm pretty sure she was by this point. 
And then I feel like she'd randomly show up to do like an interview or something again, you know, ring announcing in WWE. So right. probably one of those like we found out later on talent exchanges between WWF and ECW. But at the time, oh, why why is she on our TV? Right. And number two, I did not realize Mr. Dot com, a.k.a. Mr. Dot com, baby. Um, how much I I thought he was I thought this was uh, SCU Christopher Daniels. jeez! <laughs> oh, because they had the same sunglasses or the same glasses on. Now, my, my guess with the Mr. Dot com, because if you look at the rest of the logo, I think it was supposed to be like an all seeing eye. And Paul Ellering has been known to take his mind and his tangents to interesting places so i think when his mind is probably like geez the internet would be an all-seeing eye it would be i know everything happening to every person at all times i see y'all and know all and thus the mr.com gimmick i'm putting a lot of thought into this jacket that's on screen for like five minutes yeah more thought than probably he put into it so. possibly uh, maybe um so educator why don't you uh, break this one so we start the match with a bunch of double teaming by the DOA onto Animal. And eventually Animal is able to counter the actions of the DOA and ends up hitting both of them with a clothesline. We see Animal hitting a great looking drop kick onto one of the members of the DOA and then eventually tags in Hawk. We see Hawk with a very stiff looking neck breaker onto a member of DOA. He sends that member of the DOA into the corner and follows up with a shoulder. But that member of DOA ends up moving. So Hawk essentially plows into the corner turnbuckle and then falls down onto the floor. And Ellering is able to get a few cheap shots in, a couple of cheap kicks and so on. Eventually, Paul Ellering uh, trips Hawk after he's back into the ring as Hawk is running the ropes. When the ref isn't looking, he trips Hawk as another distraction. We see continuous tag-ins and tag-outs by the DOA that continue to work back and forth, uh, working on Hawk to wear down Hawk. Eventually, Animal gets the hot tag from Hawk and starts to clear house on both members of the DOA. He's power-slamming one. He ends up clotheslining the other one over the top rope onto the floor. As the D, uh, members of uh, LOD 2000 set up, a member of the DOA for the devastation device. They are actually successful with the clothesline, but it's the modified version, not the one where the, uh, the recipient ends up doing like a backflip off of animals shoulders onto the floor. It was the fall away slam version of the clothesline onto, uh, the, the, the canvas itself. The other DOA member ends up able to make the save on the pinfall attempt to break up that pinfall attempt. As the referee is trying to uh, get Hawk out of the match, his back is turned, and the downed member of the DOA who just took the clothesline ends up getting uh, rolls out of the ring and swaps with the healthier, fresh DOA member. So the, you know, I guess we would call it twin magic swap, so to speak. And then that healthier member ends up hitting a pretty decent-looking DDT on the animal, and we get a one-two-three pinfall and successful win for the Disciples of Apocalypse with Paul Ellering. When I saw everyone come out for this match, I thought LOD is absolutely going to win because Hawk looks fantastic compared to the last time we saw him on an In Your House series. He looks like he's got stuff together again, great shape, doesn't look like he's been on a bender, and I was completely wrong about what was going to happen. But when you have talent like the DOA, so for two guys that have had years of experience, there there's a 
chin lock, a headlock, something. I don't even know what they were going for. The only note I had was, what the hell? Because it just looks sloppy. It looks like someone's first day in the ring. Mark Henry, a match earlier, could put on a better one. By far. But, you know, I, I can't rag on DOA too much. Because for being two huge guys, well over six foot, six four, six five, maybe, they got to be the most unexciting tag team I've ever seen in my life. And I don't understand how two huge guys that look identical, that got that build and all, could have multiple gimmicks and not succeed in any of them. They should have been multi-time tag team champions in every federation they were in. And instead, they're just, honestly, they're an afterthought. If we weren't watching this, I don't know how many years would go by that I wouldn't even think of them. I think the issue with with them and, you know, like you said, they've been saddled with all these gimmicks, is they're just bland. There's not, I mean... They have no personalities, it, it seems like. Well, their extracurricular activities have been alleged over the years, but there's no way to safely bring that into an on-screen character without upsetting a lot of people and probably getting thrown off TV. So what else do they got then, I guess? If that's their big hobby and they can't wrestle that great, what else do you got? They're just big. Yeah, I mean, they just... They they've never done anything like you said. They're just like I have always just thought they were they're boring and just like oh okay they're just big and not big and exciting like us. I, I'm actually interested in, in both of your takes on them since we're we're a little side tangent here. What do you think was their best presentation? The DOA, the the Jacob and Eli Blue with Uncle Zebekiah, the Creative Control in WCW, the Bruise Brothers in ECW. The, the faces of Harris brothers. <laughs> I would say I, probably the blue brothers with Zebekiah with Mantel, Dutch Mantel. I, I would go towards that. And how do you not do that as two twin bruiser Brodies just coming right. out there? Oh, crazy, absolutely. And going scaring nuts. the fans, scaring everyone. Yeah. And just going nuts. How do you not? It looks so, it looks so obvious. Wasted opportunity. I, I really don't have a favorite like, they were they never they've never done anything for me so all right but why don't we uh take a quick little break promotional consideration paid for by the following hello kids it is i long john maddie here to welcome you to my seafood emporium get anything you want here at long john maddie when you wake up with the craving from the sea that you've been braving, try a Long John Maddie's double fish patty. When the hunger needs a saving and your stomach is a raging, try a Long John Maddie's big fish fatty. When you need a meal the fastest, you don't have to ask us. Try a double deep fried and triple shrimp basket. Filling stomachs and caskets, sure to blow a gasket. Fill you up is a challenge and we can task it. So take it from the captain, it's time to make it happen. Don't have to pull rank, just walk the plank. You don't have to strap in, just bring some cash in. We will deep fry a tank if you have money in the bank. Yo hoy, yo hoy, oh what a joy, it's Long John Maddie's Seafood Emporium. Yo hoy, yo hoy, 
you're sure to enjoy Long John Maddie's Seafood Emporium. Which hunter do you call upon when you need to find wrestling figures? Um, Dog the Bounty Hunter? Nope. Um, Turok the Dinosaur Hunter? Nope. He's a fictional character, you stupid person. Um, what about the Crocodile Hunter? Uh, Steve Irwin died a long time ago. R.I.P. He was awesome. Um, what about Davy Crockett? Wasn't he the king of the wild frontier? Nope. This frontier is more wild than anything that loser could handle. Well, I'm kind of stumped, so why don't you just tell me? Just give me a second. I'll tell you when the music's right. The Educator of Excellence, a.k.a. The Edu Hunter. Watch him as he bests the rattlesnake known as the Walmart parking lot. Take notes while he sashays through a minefield of loose shopping carts. Watch him as he maneuvers around a wild pack of Karens in the produce section. And finally, he dances with the devil known as distribution issues within the toy aisle at his local Walmart. The Educator of Excellence, a.k.a. The Edu Hunter. Figure hunting is his game. All right, we're back. What did you guys think? That restaurant sounds pretty good, right? Oh, I'd go eat there. Uh, do they have uh, outdoor seating still? I would probably imagine. I don't know. It's well, I mean- Long John Long John Maddie's? Of course they do. <laughs> The double fish patty? Oh, 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 oh. Sounds good to me, at least. I think I saw that movie. All right. So uh, so out comes Vince, Briscoe, Patterson, and Slaughter. All right. this We're getting to the good stuff now, boys. All right. Um, don't blame Vince McMahon is pretty much the, uh, the, I guess you would say the mission statement for this promo, but really they're just killing time so they can set up the TVs for uh, the uh, heart dungeon match. Um, So basically if taker no shows the Brooklyn brawler will be stone cold's partner for the tag match. Um, And I, um, as I'm watching this, I had one thought. Okay. Do you think the Brooklyn Brawler would have gotten a better reaction if he was the secret partner instead of Savio Vega and No Way Out? Because he got a better reaction than Savio tonight. Absolutely. Ah, oh, just the, when McMahon said the words card subject to change, it just brought me back to a few live shows that I had been to. And I remember once in particular in Cornwall, Ontario, I went to a WWF house show and ended up being uh, a wrestling challenge taping. And there was supposed to be a match between Bam Bam Bigelow. This is 1987, just right before the Survivor Series. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow versus the one-man gang. And I remember 
uh, Mike McGurk was the uh, was the, uh, the the ring announcer and had announced to the crowd, you know, unfortunately due to travel issues, Bam Bam Bigelow is not going to be there. Uh, so we will find a suitable replacement. <laughs> the suitable replacement was just like a, a, like Mario Mancini or some like known <laughs> jobber on TV. It's just terrible. So I I, I love the uh, the idea that you know the promoter can essentially. So he's acknowledging he's the promoter. He's the owner, Vince McMahon. You know pronouns, pal. Uh, that he you know he he's you know in, able to select a suitable replacement. And again, just trying to stack the cards up against Steve Austin. It's just great. Great storytelling for the for the Brooklyn brawler of all people to be the replacement. Good stuff. Before he came out, if if I pause, then one of you said, write a list of everyone you think the replacement might be. Brawler wouldn't even have been on it. I wouldn't have even thought of him. I wouldn't have fathomed him. It was just uh, it was fun. It was silly. It's a great way to kill the time and all. And boy, when they saw the TV is coming out, didn't you guys love audio video day at school? Just wheel the cart into the classroom. We're going to watch a movie today. Maybe you can take a nap. Maybe it's actually something interesting. How many how many TVs did they wheel out? I got to guess at least four for every direction. How much money did that cost at that point for those TVs? For those at that time? I mean, they were big screens. They had to be what? 32-inch screens? 40-inch screens? Probably plus the carts. You know, those aren't cheap. I'm going to say there's probably like $3,000 worth of TVs just around the ring. Actually, probably a lot more than that. I mean, those TVs were pretty expensive back in the day. Those CRTs. I mean, they're they're monstrous TVs. Huge. Probably they were like three, four hundred dollars each. So yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Three to four grand. I, guess. I would just think there would be more than that for a big screen back in '98. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe five, six. Um, but you know, the TV on the cart. One thing I will say about them, they moved better than Vader. So. <laughs> Ouch. All right, guys, so why don't we get right into our heart dungeon match? Uh, we have Owen taking on Shamrock with Dan Severn as our special guest referee. Um, Crone Meltzer remembered this match fondly, and he brought it up and would talk about it when he was on um, the run-in previously. Uh, so did the match hold up in your guys' book? No. <laughs> um... I mean, as a cinematic match, you know, it's just fantastic. Can I ask a question? When they started rolling out the TVs, did you expect the match to be like three minutes long? No, I thought it would have been a lot longer than it really was. But in that limited space, I mean, what up? What more could you have really have done? They they exhausted every possibility and angle of to do something in that room. So. I mean, the only other thing they could have gone through was and they, if they were doing that now, they would be going through walls and, and hitting each other with doors and stuff like that. I mean, this was a pretty straightforward, just two guys um, in a basement. One thing I will say, though, is you can really tell Shamrock had his background in mixed martial arts and real fighting because he made everything look real. Um, you know, we watch the raw underground now and it, it doesn't look real. I mean, it just looks so fake, especially compared to um, MMA and UFC and stuff like that, like where you see actual real ground and pound. And um, I will say that Shamrock 
did make this look real, especially his strikes. I got a question. This is only July of 98. Um, if a company screwed over your family member in one of the most infamous days in wrestling history, less than a year later, would you be welcoming their cameras into your home? It's crazy. Yeah, I was second actually question. thinking that too. Yeah. Yeah. Second question. Where's Bruce? How did he not get involved in this? You figure like they would like they would Shamrock and Owen go through a wall and then Bruce is just like, you know, on a grill somewhere cooking hot dogs. He's got to maximize his minutes, maybe throw a soda. So there's like a, Shamrock a trips. window in the basement, like a window into another room. How was how Bruce not at the window, like just sitting there peering out like he's, he's peering, on, you yeah. know, just watching the match? Do you guys think this was actually the heart dungeon or was it like a closed set? I don't know. I, I've seen. um I've seen compilations of uh, of other heart family videos of of the dungeon and so on, and Stu rolling around with a couple with Brett uh, and so on. And I, I don't know something about it seemed off. I really think that this to me, I think that those were live shots outside of the house or shots that were taken earlier in the week, or earlier in the month. But I, I really think I don't think this was the legit real deal. I could be wrong, though. See, I thought it was and just cleaned up enough to get everyone in there into the room. I wonder if there's like a Pritchard podcast about it or something. Uh, I mean, I'm sure someone does a Bret Hart's book. I mean, there's a story somewhere. Um, so, Educator, why don't you break this uh, cinematic match down for us? <laughs> All right. Before the match even starts, I just want to say I desperately want a pair of those Zubaz shorts that Owen Hart was wearing in this match. <laughs> they were, without a doubt, phenomenal. We see the the match, I guess we can call it that. Lots of like brawling and rolling around on the floor and trading punches back and forth. We see them throwing them each other into the walls and into the weight rack and so on. We see Owen Hart dropping Shamrock with what essentially was a power bomb as Shamrock had a double leg wrapped around his head as he's grabbing onto like a water pipe that was, you know, across the rafters of the roof. And then eventually Shamrock lets go and Owen Hart essentially drops him down for a power bomb. Uh, so that leg triangle while holding onto that water pipe essentially didn't really work out too well for Shamrock. We see Owen essentially doing a, a hip lock into uh, the ceiling plumbing, I guess the way he just launched him up into that same ceiling pipe and plumbing uh, as Shamrock gets thrown into it. We see Owen Hart picking up Shamrock and smashing his head, lifting him straight up through the ceiling, essentially through the drywall. There were other holes in the ceiling, so it makes me wonder if they practiced the spot earlier in the day to make sure it would look decent on t TV. Owen Hart attempts a sharpshooter, which is eventually reversed by Shamrock, and then Shamrock puts him in an ankle lock. And uh, Owen is essentially able to escape. Owen Hart ends up ducking a kick attempt by Shamrock. And Shamrock extends the leg and ends up crushing Dan Severn in the chest, uh, knocking Severn down. Owen hits Shamrock with a dumbbell to essentially knock him out face down right next to uh, the downed Dan Severn. And what essentially looked like a modified cross face, we see Owen Hart. Uh, on the leading side next to Shamrock, put a cross face on Shamrock and then ends up using his free hand to lift up Shamrock's right arm and tap it up and down a couple of times. Just out of the sight of 
Dan Sever not being able to see. It's really Owen Hart picking up Shamrock's arm, but mimicking the tap out. And then Dan Severn decides to call off the match, saying that there is a tap out and Owen Hart is the winner. It's it's a quick match. It's silly. It's kind of over the top. But I found it fun overall. I love the ending. I love Owen just being Owen to pull off this ending. Um, I love Ken Shamrock entering the, quote, arena, which is him opening, like, I don't know, a kitchen doorway to head down the stairs into the dungeon. <laughs> Every bit of it's just silly. But it was fun. Um, now, we've all been in many houses over years and, you know, moved around and all. I've never seen a stronger water pipe in my life. I don't think there's a single water pipe in my house that can hold my weight swinging to attack another person from it. So I got to give credit to how the Hart family estate is built. Um, Weird question. Very weird question about the ending and the finish. When did it stop being called a dumbbell and start being called a barbell? Like, aren't those things called dumbbells? I'm totally serious here. I think either or. Okay. Because it really seemed like they're like, oh, it's a barbell, it's a barbell. Like, it's a Vince thing. Like, no, you don't call it a dumbbell. Then they'll say only dumbbells lift them, and all of our wrestlers are dumb. When they're not, D'Lo is a CPA. Well, now I'm looking it up, Kevin. <laughs> now I've ruined your evening, more so than I usually do. Yeah, I think you could call it. I think the barbells are supposed to be the, really the longer ones. But... Who cares? And the, what, what I like, though, when they're when they're calling the match, though. Oh, and a thank you to all of the hearts. I'm like, really? All of them? You thinking Brett for you, the use of your house right now? It's the biggest heel in the business, Vinnie Mac. All right. So uh, I guess you failed, Cronelter. Uh, There's a reason why you were only the salutatorian. In a class of one. <laughs> all right. So why don't we go to match number seven? Uh, we are getting Triple H with DX taking on The Rock with the NOD. It's a two out of three falls, 30-minute time limit match. Uh, and uh, this is where they mention that China can stay because she has a manager's license. So I knew that came up sometime. Um, so what did you guys think of this uh, match? I'm very curious, actually. Um, oh, I'm curious, too. Because let me just throw this out here. I really like this. I thought this was match of the night, personally. Really? I know that there's some timing issues at the end um, with the with the counts and, and Hebner not even trying to count at the end, like not even giving Hunter the one, two time runs out. Right. He just literally doesn't even get down. He stops him like 10 seconds before the match is even over. I don't blame the two performers for that. But I even wrote, is this a top five match? Because really? I really like this. I don't, yeah. I don't see I like it as the top five. I thought it was a decent match. It probably the, the 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 match of the night, without a doubt. I don't think it's going to scrape our top five. Um, for the at home viewer, within thirty seconds, the entire match, you're told what's going to happen because they kept emphasizing it over and over and over again that how the third fall must be a pinfall or submission if we get there. So. You know, they're pushing the idea that this 30 minute match, the clock is going to essentially be an enemy to one or the other. So they're foreshadowing a time limit draw, which, you know, why are you doing that to the for the for the fan? 
you really want there to be a finish rather than being up front. No, it's just going to be a smudge and tune into the next show and SummerSlam, and which was a great ladder match that they ended up having. If you're going to do the time limit draw, why have the two out of three falls to begin with? Like, what was the the point of the falls? Right. Then? It doesn't even make any sense whatsoever. Why don't they just flat out just do it as an Iron Man match? You know, yeah. in a one one. The um the just so everyone knows too, the ladder match is unbelievable. It's really good. Um but yeah, I was just kind of curious what you say. Now, Kevin, you sound like you are not high on this match. I thought it was the most boring match on the card. <laughs> what? Yeah. What show I are thought, you watching? I thought it is nothing but stalling and rest ho- holds. Until random member of the nation or DX comes out, has their little spot, goes back to the back, and we're just killing the 30 minutes. Okay, so on a card that featured Farouk and Scorpio versus Bradshaw and Terry Funk, the DOA versus LOD, Vader versus Mark Henry, and a bikini contest, this was the worst thing that was on the card. Yes, because these two should have had something so much better that when they don't, the fall is even greater. Disagree. Completely. I'm not sure what to say to that, man. That's crazy. I was... Did they drug test where you work, Kevin? No. So one thing I didn't do either was, was this match actually 30 minutes? <laughs> I, I wasn't sure because it didn't seem like it was that long to me, but... Um, Kevin did allude to the fact there was a lot of shenanigans going on and um, maybe you thought Kevin it fell short because they were saving it for the ladder match the next month very true and it's a thing that I'll admit I have to work on I expect pay-per-views to be a pay-per-view worthy match but in this era of a monthly pay-per-view a lot of the things are like a three four match story so this ending has to happen, so we set up something bigger, like you said, the ladder match on a later pay-per-view. And we're just watching these as the one show. We're not watching, well, I mean, you are sometimes, but we're not watching all the Raws before and after, you know, the non-in-your-house pay-per-views. So there is stuff missing. I'm only taking it as just this match. And just this match without the bigger story or the ladder match later on, there's a lot lacking. All right, educator, you want to go ahead and break down 30 minutes of this All match? All right, <laughs> we'll start with the first fall. Mike Kyoto is our referee. At least to start the match, he certainly will not be the referee that finishes this match. Uh, like uh, Hellion said, there is a lot of schma, so to speak, of run-ins and distractions and so on. So towards the start of the match, we see Mark Henry comes back to ringside mid-match. When Triple H is out on the floor near the apron and Mark Henry does a big splash on a Triple H on the floor behind the ref's back. Billy Gunn ends up coming down for a run-in kind of deal to save and essentially chase off Triple H. I'm sorry, we'll have to do that again. So make sure you time that. Uh, We see Billy Gunn running down to essentially chase off Mark Henry after he's gotten the offensive maneuvers on a Triple H. Uh, Triple H is drawn or thrown back into the ring. Rock ends up hitting Triple H with the Intercontinental title. When China was up on the apron, you know, giving the business to the ref, so to speak, uh, just ended up being frustrated over the Mark Henry run-in. And the narrative essentially for the first fall is that we end up getting maybe two or three 
offensive moves by Triple H, and then The Rock immediately counters and gets and knocks Triple H right back down. Rock Rock ends up working Triple H. We try to get a comeback of maybe two or three quick maneuvers, and then The Rock counters again. We eventually see the Godfather come back down to ringside, and then all of the or both members of the New Age Outlaws come back down to essentially chase him to the back. We see D'Lo come in and kind of do a late run in, and Triple H ends up stopping his attempt, and he knocks him out with the European title. Uh, as D'Lo tried to swing the European title and hit Triple H with it. As Triple H turns right around, Rock ends up hitting the rock bottom for the three count, one, two, three, and then we announce that we have a one-minute rest period. For the second fall of the match, after the one-minute rest period concludes, both men are fighting outside of the ring. We see Rock end up doing a double-leg takedown and then sets up a slingshot onto Triple H and flings Triple H in the direction of the Spanish announce table with Triple H crashing his head onto the Spanish announce table. Triple H gets thrown back into the ring by The Rock. The Rock body slams Triple H and does his people's elbow and actually named people's elbow maneuver for the crowd, and the crowd does a pretty good pop for it. Rock goes for a pin but only gets a two count. We see D'Lo recover from getting smashed in the head with his own European title from the first fall. First fall, he ends up trying to climb back onto the apron for essentially China to drag him off and throw him into the railing. Now we see X-Pac do a run-in while the ref is distracting, uh, distracted by China for everything going on with her dealing with D'Lo. And X-Pac does an X-Factor face buster to the rock with Triple H rolling over for the count but only getting a two count. We see Triple H bringing a chair into the ring, but Rock ends up intercepting the chair. Rock swings the chair, but Triple H ducks, causing the Rock to hit the referee with the chair. With the referee being down, China climbs in the ring, low blows the Rock, and DDTs the Rock onto that chair. Triple H rolls over, and Rock ends up hitting Triple H. Uh, We'll have to do that. Wow, that's twice now I've screwed up. China does a run-in while the referee is down, and while the Rock's back is turned, Rock gets low-blowed by China, and then China ends up DDTing the Rock onto a chair. China and then uh, exits the ring as Triple H rolls over onto the Rock for the 1-2-3 victory. We now have another announced one-minute rest period. We have a tied match 1-1. to Start of the third fall, there's actually no ref in the ring. We see a couple of referees ringside helping back Mike Kyoto, and then Earl Hebner does a run-in and is now going to be covering the match for the remainder. And here it's announced that there's about two minutes left uh, in the match from commentary. We see Triple H hitting the face breaker on his knee and then hits a quick clothesline onto the rock for a two-count. Rock throws Triple H in the ropes, and he catches him for a Samoan drop for a two-count. Then Finkel gets on the microphone. One minute is announced being left in the match. We see Triple H hitting a pedigree after The Rock attempts a rock-bottom attempt, and Triple H reverses. And when Triple H hit that pedigree, he rolls Rock over for the pin, lays across The Rock, but then... The referee sits there and starts tapping Rock on the shoulders, and maybe five or six seconds later, we hear the bell ring. So there was unfortunately a very awkward timing 
you know, the timekeeper should have just seen the idea of, you know, the fact that we got to ding the bell as soon as the rock rolls or is rolled over. Triple H is attempting for the pin. Time limit has now expired and it is announced as a time limit draw. And still, your World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion on a 1 1 tie time limit draw is The Rock. Afterwards, we see the entire group of the nation come down ringside. They start to attack Triple H, only for DX to follow to scare them all off, knock them out of the ring. And we hear the DX music as Triple H is being held up to stand strong. Again. There is, of course, action that takes place in this match, but I still say it is just filler until the next member of the nation or or uh, DX comes out. You could be wrestling. You could do a headlock. You could just walk from house to house. It's more like these are the people in my neighborhood. Oh, I'm going to walk over here and hey, Gordon, how's it going? Oh, I'm going to walk over here and hey, let's go to Mr. Hooper's store. We're going to walk over here and hey, it's X-Pac. I felt nothing for the match. I know it was controversial. No, we'll get letters. But I stand by it. Greatly disappointed by this match. I'm disappointed in your hot take. So I can't believe I had written down top five match possibly, and you wrote down suck it. <laughs> Pretty much. And I wrote down this is, I wrote down hashtag garbage juice. <laughs> I don't get it. I, I just, I honestly don't see why you think it was so bad. It boggles my mind, boggles my mind. I can't believe you think this is worse than Vader, Mark Henry. I, I was just like, wow, Triple H versus The Rock, two out of three falls, half an hour. This is going to be fantastic. This this is going to show everything that WWE is about to be for the next like five years at least. Oh, what a, what a time capsule of a match this is going to be. I'm going to see so, so much and so after the match uh we go right back to the wwe or excuse me the wwf.com set where we have kevin kelly and tom pritchard just so you guys know undertaker arrives oh finally arrives Uh, in the building yeah Um, and then this is where it gets a little weird because we go to a so we go to wwf home video exclusive with the rock and d'lo brown leaving uh, the two most charismatic people in the nation of domination by far. I'll give you that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're just talking about nonsense. <laughs> I really don't have uh, too much to go over. And then guys, <laughs> we get to our bikini contest. Uh, there is a promo video for the bikini contest, which is like four minutes long too. I I don't know how to cover this. Barely. Barely. It's barely covered. All right, so we get a tale of the tape done by Lucas. <laughs> Who's Lucas? Yeah, so do you guys know who Lucas was who did this tale of the tape? Yeah, no idea. Uh, we get uh, Dustin Reynolds uh, saying his prayers before the match, if it is a match. Uh, of course, Jerry the King Lawler is the judge. We get Jacqueline coming out with Mark Marrow, and then, of course, Sable. Um, so I want to point out, I found this segment extremely entertaining. Okay, not not joking, no jokes aside, it was a very entertaining segment for a, for a bunch of reasons, okay? JR on commentary was great. The King's reaction was great. Jacqueline's having a ball. Yeah. Mark Merrow looks like he's having fun. One person in the segment looks like she does not want to do this, and that is Sable. And I don't blame her. 
because you hear everything about the lawsuit and everything. She obviously feels, it seems to me, a little uncomfortable doing the segment. I mean, her face when she takes off her top and reveals like the pasties with the hands and an iconic moment in Attitude Era WWF. Her face is she would rather be anywhere else but there. And I don't blame her. Yeah, she looks like she's pretty much catatonic through the whole thing. So it's really weird. You wonder if she did self-medicate before going out there to I'm nervous. I don't want to do this. I feel uncomfortable. This will at least get me through this. Speaking of uh, self-medicating, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the whole pre uh, this segment, Dustin Runnels in the ring, asking everyone to bow their head in prayer, how the Messiah is I said he said his prayers, but yeah, I just thought, I just thought that was very interesting watching this segment, like seeing Jacqueline looks like she was having fun. Mark Merrow looks like, I mean, they, Mark Merrow and Jacqueline made this segment. I think the King's reaction was great. Uh, JR on commentary is great. Like I said, Sable doesn't want to be there. I don't blame her. This is, and in a segment where there's a bikini contest, Vince McMahon gets the heat. Right, of course. So what did, what did you guys think? Though? Uh, Jacqueline's hot. Well, yes. She looked fantastic. We, what changed with us since in the last 20 plus years where we didn't pay attention to her all then and now we're like, wait, this has been here the whole time? Right. She's far, looks far better than Sable. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's obvious that she too has had some enhancement surgery, um, but it just... She just looks so much better than Sable, without a doubt. I, I think it's the the attitude, not attitude, but her attitude for this, her enjoyment of it, that it comes through. Whereas now, when I was writing my notes of it, I wrote for, for Sable standing there with just the paint, and I was taking a different angle from it. You two have, have changed my feelings here. But I was taking the attitude of how much confidence, how much self-confidence and bravery does it take for her to stand there in an arena of 10,000 people like that with just this paint covering her and that's it. And I was viewing it more, she wanted to do it. I, you know, I forgot the other part of it. And now you guys reminded me, I'm like, well, now it's just sad. And it is probably like a catatonic. I need to go somewhere else in my mind mentally. I need to escape from this. And I can't escape because I'm in the middle of the, this giant stage and all eyes are on me. Wrestling. Um, we're we're uh, all, all ages show. Other forms of entertainment. As long as everyone involved is on the same page and willingly part of the performance. Do whatever you want. But Sable is clearly not a willing participant. She's someone under contract doing what she's got to do. And you, you see, like you're saying, the joy of Jacqueline's having a blast. She's enjoying it. But did it, was everyone against Sable? Did anyone want to speak up for her? Were they just trying to get rid of her? Like, I, I just don't know. It might explain some stuff with Sonny, too. If this is the way you're going to treat someone that's popular and feels uncomfortable doing certain things. It, the, the, it just came off to me, like, rewatching it. It it really looked like she wanted to be anywhere else but in that ring at that moment. Anywhere else. I mean, but thankfully, when she came back years later, they didn't make her do anything else she was uncomfortable with. They learned their lesson. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, do you think the segment, Kevin, because like you said, she seemed so sad if sad Hulk music was part of the segment, no, that have made okay. it better for you? No. Uh, her. Oh, I, I, I lost the match. I lost my job in WWF. It's part of a larger storyline. And she looked kind of silly walking away with her tackle box. And we we're, we we're joking around about being silly. This if we do sad music here or what WWE does, it's like we're mocking a victim and that's how she looks here. And there's a, you, you don't punch down. No, absolutely. So, yeah, that's all I really have. I didn't have much. Like I said, it seemed like everyone else was having fun except for the one person that the segment was about. And she did not want to do it from everything that I've read. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, obviously, Jackie purposefully did some exposure. I'm wondering oh, if she got any heat in the back, if she got fined, if there were any reprimands. Um, you know, Jackie has been known to certainly show more than what is absolutely necessary. I know that there is a uh, European pay-per-view where she actually had her top stripped completely off in the match and she didn't have anything on underneath. So, um, you know, Jackie had it and was, had no problem showing it. I'm just wondering, with this being a live pay-per-view, is that why she was able to get away with it? Because certainly wouldn't be able to do that with the advertisers on Raw or anything like that. Nope. I'd, I'd be willing to bet they're like, make it look like an accident. If you're okay with doing it, go ahead. Here's a bonus. And from everything I've heard, too, she's more of one of the boys. Because, right, wasn't yeah. she really good friends with the APA? And Yeah. I want to look up more Jackie stuff after this. Like, she just seemed to be having a blast. She seemed to be having a good time. She was entertaining as hell. I'm like, how did I Yeah, uh, Educator, what was the name of that European pay-per-view you were telling me about? Was that Retribution? I can't remember if it's Capital Carnage, Insurrection. It, it was one of the UK-only shows. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it's... Uh, I'm sure there's YouTube. Can be found. Some sort of tube or hub site might have them. So after that, of course, we get exclusive footage of Sable and, and Jacqueline having a dressing room. And this is where I and this is this little segment here is where I knew Sable did not want to do that because you could see the rage in her voice yeah. uh, and just screaming, get out, get out, get out. Um, and, you know, obviously, as you can see, half of that is acting and half of that I'm going to say is real because I didn't think she was that great of an actor. Um, and then finally, we get a Undertaker Stone Cold Steve Austin Kane Mankind video, which is excellent, and it is hyping our main event. Um, one thing that that I brought up to you, Kevin, while I was watching this, is this pay per view happens a month after Mankind got thrown off the Hell in the Cell. Absolutely absurd. And he has won the tag team titles in between. He only missed like a week or two of shows after getting thrown off the top of the cell. Yeah. Yeah. Paid time off. I'd hope it's, it's insane to me. Um, but once again, thank you, Mick Foley. Uh, so what did you guys think of our main, uh, main event here? Kane and mankind defending the tag team titles against undertaker and stone cold, Steve Austin, uh, and stone cold and taker winning those tag belts. Uh, I just I, I get frustrated a little bit with that. The whole purpose of one pay per view is to sell the next pay per view. Um, I, I wish they could have done more with the whole tag titles and the you know the good friends, better enemies. Well, I guess that's not really the best way to compare them, but the the frenemies that have a common goal, a common purpose uh, of trying to defeat Kane and mankind. 
and also there's an there's a there's turmoil between them because of the WWF Championship. The match itself it, it wasn't that great uh, for me. You know, interesting finish with the outcome and Undertaker walking away, taking both tag team championships. So, you know, it, the whole premise was to set up for the next pay-per-view. I, I agree. Um, it's interesting for the star. Are Austin and Undertaker on the same page? Well, we're not going to know because Kane and Mankind jumped them. Mankind's busting his ass in the start of this match. He's doing fantastic. He's taking great bumps. He's selling He's making everyone looks good. And then it seems like halfway through, he realizes he's the only one that's doing it. So why bother and dials it down a notch? See, once again, I enjoyed this match. I don't know <laughs> why you guys seem to be hating on um, the last two matches here. That, well, I, well, the yeah, not including the bikini contest, but um, I enjoyed this. One of the questions I have is, that I was going to bring up, which I, I just going to throw away now was can a co-main event and main event carry a pay-per-view? Cause I honestly thought that the pay-per-view was lackluster up until we got to kind of the rock, uh, triple H match it kicked into gear. And then I enjoyed this match. Um, but apparently I'm in the minority here. Cause I, I enjoyed this pay-per-view. I absolutely like the show as a whole. I just, the premise for me, I mean, all that the two out of three falls match did, all that this main event did is like, oh, okay, well, continued at SummerSlam. It really didn't, you know. What's what's the USA Network special that was leading up to a pay-per-view and it was um, a bunch of matches? like uh, it would be it would be something or... spectacular. So SummerSlam spectacular, Survivor Series spectacular. That's what this is. This yeah. would have been great for something like that. Right. A lot of a lot of setups, you know, something interesting. Star big stars against each other that you might not see, you know, a match of that caliber on free TV. But really, the whole point is to get you to buy the bigger pay per view coming up. I, I was disappointed overall by it. I'm disappointed in you, Kevin, well, and you, Matt. Well, get in line. Get in line. So many people had <laughs> so lots of people out of you that were disappointed in me before you got here. So towards the start of the match, we see Undertaker essentially confronting Austin in the entranceway and kind of like stepping right up as if they're going to start brawling in the middle of Steve Austin's entrance, only for Kane and Mankind to essentially follow and attack both of them. We see Austin starting in the ring with Mankind. He hits a front suplex and starts working on Mankind's arm. Eventually, uh, Kane tags into the match, but Austin hits a Luthez press and an elbow drop for a huge crowd pop. Taker tags into the ring, hits a side Russian leg sweep on Kane. Foley eventually, uh, Mick Foley eventually tags in, and Taker essentially beals Foley into the corner twice and follows through with his av- uh, his version of the avalanche splash. Undertaker grabs Foley by the arm, climbs up to the top rope for his old-school finisher, the big forearm sledge over his back. Eventually, Foley gets some offense in on Undertaker and does a blind tag in on Kane. Kane, who comes in and does a decent-looking choke slam to the Undertaker. We see back-and-forth tags by uh, Kane and Mankind to continue working down on the Undertaker. Foley hits his double-arm DDT, and Austin has to actually do a run-in, uh, do a save for a two-count. Foley does a running clothesline to take Undertaker over the top rope. 
onto the floor. Foley goes to do his running elbow off the uh, apron onto the Undertaker, only for Austin to essentially get involved and push uh, push mankind off of the uh, apron onto the Spanish announce table. Undertaker then backdrops Foley uh, onto the floor on the outside. Undertaker then DDTs Foley and eventually gets a tag into Austin. Austin essentially starts st- stopping a mud hole onto uh, Kane, who tagged into the match. Austin hits Kane with a ha- stiff, stiff, stiff looking chair shot to the head when there was a ref distraction and eventually only gets a two count from that chair shot. We see Austin throw, uh, be thrown out of the ring by Kane for Foley to then run Austin into the guardrail. And then Austin is eventually dropped like neck and throat first over the guardrail by Kane. Foley and Kane continue to tag in and out and work offensively on Austin. We see Kane choke slamming Austin and Foley yelling at Kane to spike him, to spike him, to spike him, to set him up for the tombstone pile driver. Kane eventually attempts that tombstone pile driver onto Austin and he uh, Austin ends up sliding down Kane's back to then spin him around, kick him in the gut and hit him with the stone cold stunner for a huge crowd pop. Foley runs in to try to prevent Austin from a pinfall attempt, and he puts the mandible claw on Steve Austin. Austin counters by kicking him again in the gut and then doing a Stone Cold Sunner on Mick Foley. Austin then starts crawling over to try to reach for a tag, and Undertaker doesn't really extend the arm, and we hear the crowd start to audibly boo the Undertaker because of his refusal to essentially tag in. And then eventually, Undertaker reaches over and gets the hot tag from Steve Austin. We see Undertaker chokeslam Kane and then eventually chokeslams Mankind. Undertaker tombstones Kane in the middle of the ring and covers for the one, two, three. And Undertaker and Steve Austin are now crowned as the WWF Tag Team Champions. We see Undertaker walk over and grab both tag team titles, drapes them over his shoulders, and proceeds to walk out of the arena. All right, treats. I, I... I've been thinking and I've been listening to your words and listening to the educator. And I, I, I think I've come up with an explanation because you've been very upset with me, this pay-per-view back when these were live, I didn't have the money to order every pay-per-view. So I would have to cherry pick ones that looked the best. Didn't have the money to attend the events. And I think of a brand new VHS or DVD rental is about $3 each. So between these options, if I'm spending that money and I get this show, I'm pissed. I'm beyond disappointed. I'm upset. I'm wishing I saved that money for SummerSlam next month or for something else. And I think that's a mindset I have coming into this. If, if my hard-earned money gets me this, I'd rather have my money and time back. So in this hypothetical, Kevin... Is this 1998? It's a working hypothesis. I am aware if this is where you're going. I'm making, I'm making a broad generalization because I am aware I did not pay for pay-per-views at your house. I was <laughs> what? I wasn't even to bring that up. Um, but thank you for that. My father is uh, still waiting for his twenty dollars for that <laughs> that my brother stole from uh, from you. But no, because I think 1998, Kevin would have a different opinion, uh, one, because of the bikini contest. Uh, you know, I think that f- factors in as well, though, for a pay-per-view. 
that you'd be like, oh, this is a great pay-per-view. <laughs> I think we're just, lo- I think you're looking at it and you look at it in a weird way as if I would have. Okay. So one, you're saying you didn't pay $30 for it back in 98. Number two, you didn't pay $30 to watch it. You paid $10 a month to watch all of them. I know. I, so I don't know why you hate this. So I, why are your expectations so high for fully loaded? It's not It's not WrestleMania here. A, a pay-per-view should always give you content that's worth paying for a pay-per-view. Otherwise, why are you having a pay-per-view? And a pay-per-view should have something memorable on it. It should have a giant gimmick match. It should have a major angle. It should have a title change. Or else, why is everyone paying extra for a pay-per-view? And this, whether it's Russo era, whether it's because it's a glorified setup for another pay-per-view, I don't know, but it does not feel worth being a pay-per-view. I agree. This is kind of like SummerSlam 98 light, really, because all that it's doing is just trying to further storylines that are going to continue at the next pay-per-view. It's like the house shows before SummerSlam where they're getting everyone in the ring together to get their chemistry and timing down. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that assessment. Agree to disagree on that. I just, <laughs> I, I honestly, when I watched this, I was like, oh, this is fun. I, I was like, we have hit a string of fun shows going in. I really enjoyed that. I, I mean, I'm not even joking. I really enjoyed this, this pay-per-view. But I seem to be in the minority here. Not that you didn't enjoy it, Educator, or you didn't hate it as much as Kevin did. But, yeah, I just don't, I don't I don't see the vitriol that Kevin is throwing at it, but okay. So we have our top five matches. Does Vader versus Mark Henry crack the top five? Uh, no, no, it's, it's right around Quebecers Godwin's era. Okay. So in all honesty, I thought rock triple H was the best match on the card. I thought it may, depending on what you guys thought may have gotten into the top five. Obviously it's not going to, so what was your guys' best match? I think, Kevin, you said the X-Pac D'Lo Brown match? Yeah, that's by far my favorite match on this card. I agree with that, too. Is that because of the expectations? You had no expectations going into that match, and they just exceeded? Possibly. I was blown away by it. If, if we you know, went to some little gymnasium, bingo hall, whatever, and saw that match, I'd be going nuts for that one. Just two undercard guys just given the opportunity to shine and making the most of their minutes, and they, they really delivered. So now, guys, we got to rank this pay-per-view. And I feel like we're going to have some dissension on where this is going. So um, I, I'm just going to say let's start at the bottom and just work our way up. Because I feel like Kevin's going to be low, Matt's going to be in the middle, and I'm going to be the highest. I, I, I'm already working a compromise in my head, so I'll proceed with that. Okay, so why don't we start at the bottom? Of course, we have done 22 of these. <laughs> So, all right, buckle up, folks. This will be a while. So we got your chin uh, straps, baby. Is it better than Good Friends, Better Enemies, Absolutely. which is the worst paper? Yes. Okay, better than Ground Zero. Yes. Yes. But, and Kevin, I want you to tell us where you would put this. No, I'll, I'll, tell, okay. I'll tell you where I stopped. And, the, and okay, better better than Final Four. Absolutely. Yes. Lumberjacks. Absolutely. Yes. No way out. Absolutely. Yes. Buried alive. Yes. Yes. Uh, beware of dog. Absolutely. Yes. A cold day in hell. Yes. That's where I'm stopping it. I disagree. <laughs> okay. Uh, DX. I agree. Higher. I agree too. Uh, it's time. Uh, higher. Uh, Unforgiven. 
So, uh, yeah, I, th- I would say this was better than that one. <laughs> Kevin, I agree. Like, I've grown, man. I thought this ma- I thought this pay per view was good. I'll tell you where I would put it too. Um, Revenge of Taker. Yeah, I'd put it over Revenge of Taker. Kevin, what do you think? Are you okay? With no, me, Kevin? no, I'm not. <laughs> where was your compromise going to be? I was compromising putting it above Beware a Dog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Great White North. Nope, that's it. See, you love Great White North. I love that Great White North, man. I would put this personally. Okay, I would pass Great White North. I would pass Mind Games. Oh. I I would probably pass In Your House 1, and I would put it there. Out of your mind. <laughs> all right, so we, we're all over the board here. We're I would have it at 8. So I would have had it at number 8. You would have had it at number 11. And, Kevin, you would have it. Your compromise was 15. So mm-hmm. what do we do here? Guys? 11 and 15. Sounds like it's, it goes to number 12. Well, because I have it at eight. Right. So I don't know how you get. Eight, 11, oh. eight, 11 and 15. All right. So I will have to come down a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's going to finish 11 or 12. Yeah. Why don't we put it. Okay, because why don't we put it at unlucky number 13? And that'll put it right below Unforgiven, but above its time. There you go. I can, How does that sound? I can go with that. As soon as you two put it above Unforgiven, that was where I was drawing the line. I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah, this is the... I, I cannot wait to hear our, our like official lists, and we'll have to do a big post on the Retro Network website Uh you know when we get our own lists personal lists for it um because we're going to be all over the board here yeah i really like the show like i said i thought it was a top um you know top eight show top 10 show but you guys don't agree and it's okay you guys are wrong i mean sometimes you guys are wrong (laughs) here i thought you were unrivaled educator but i was wrong i see how you are and, of course, no top five matches. All right, so let's just run down our top five real quick. Um, as far as matches go, number one, Hell in the Cell. Number two is HBK versus Kevin Nash from Good Friends, Better Enemies. Number three is Over the Edge of Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Dude Love. Uh, number four is Brett versus the Bulldog from Seasons Beatings. And number five, Holden Strong, the Canadian Stampede 10-man tag match. And our top five pay-per-views. Number one, Canadian Stampede. Uh, Number two, International Incident. Number three, Triple Header. Number four, Bad Blood. And number five, Over the Edge. What an episode, guys. Controversial. A lot of controversy in that one. It's our best episode ever. I don't know about that. (laughs) All right, guys. So next week... um, I don't know if our audience knows this, but you know, we made the big announcement that we're going to be doing Halloween Havoc starting October 1st. Well, we have another big announcement from the people that have brought you Duplex City. From the people that have brought you the triple header. Next week, we have 
a twin magic pay-per-view showdown. Oh, baby. So we're actually going to cover two in-your-house pay-per-views because, once again, um, as Kevin has alluded to, sometimes when you get a pay-per-view, it just leads to the the next Raw or the next pay-per-view. And this one, these two definitely lead the main events crossover. Educator, um, why don't you talk about the breakdown in your house breakdown to in your house judgment day. Uh, just the main event. So the main event of the first show, the breakdown is actually a triple threat match between stone cold, Steve Austin defending his world wrestling federation championship against both Kane and undertaker at the same time. And we end up getting a schmaz finish where both Kane and undertaker pin Steve Austin. And as a result of Austin being defeated, he is no longer World Wrestling Federation champion. But the problem is, well, which competitor actually won the championship? So as a follow-up to that, at the next pay-per-view, we end up having Kane against The Undertaker for the now-held-up World Wrestling Federation championship. And so there's no bias. The special guest referee is former champion Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, so once again, we have two pay-per-views that will flow together nicely. We're going to do our Twin Magic episode. What do you think of the name, Educator? You like the Twin Magic episode? I'm going to go with no on that one. Okay. (laughs) Which one's Eli and which one's Jacob? Which one's Bree and which one's Nikki? Which one's Ron? Which one's Don? Yeah, we got it. So, uh, So, yeah, we're doing our Twin Magic episode next week. And, guys, I think that's going to do it for us. The unrivaled one, the educator, or as I like to call you, the edgy hunter. <laughs> what do you have to say to the people out there? I want to say thank you to everybody who tunes in and listens to our shows on both our Monday run-in as well as our house show in your houses on Thursdays. I want to say thank you to my two co-hosts for the opportunity to hang out with you guys and, and just shoot this you-know-what to go over our favorite retro wrestling memories from the 90s. Want to say thank you to the Retro Network for hosting our podcast, as well as to all our fans that are listening to us. If you have any questions, please, please contact us on social media. And uh, thanks again. We'll I look forward to seeing you guys and uh, talking about the doubleheader next week. Yeah, and as always, I just want to thank everyone for joining us on this journey that was fully loaded. I'm very disappointed in my tag team partners, but as tag team partners. We always will come together in the end and defend those titles. So, yeah. So as always, I just want to thank the Retro Network for for hosting and really supporting us. Thank uh, you know most of the other podcasts on the website uh, for hosting us. We're looking at you, Adam. Um, and then always too, uh, if you need me, you can follow me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. And that's all I got to say. So Kevin, why don't you take us home? All right. Thank you to my co-host tonight, even though we argued a little bit. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. That's on all the major social medias. You can follow Treats, as aforementioned, at Maddie Treats. You can follow my own blog and my personal writings at Master Library. And uh, thank goodness 
next week is Twin Magic, so I have two opportunities to watch anything better than Fully Loaded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.